Hi, I'm Ken Foster, faculty co-host for the Purdue Agricultural Economics podcast, and I'm here to welcome you to a new academic year full of interesting podcasts focused on food and agriculture for the Purdue agricultural community and others. I have a couple of developments that I want to share with you with regard to the podcast for this academic year. First, if you were listening to us last spring, you know that we have two student co-hosts this year, Abby Meyer and Courtney Rodkey. I'm looking forward to working with both of them. We also have a new faculty co-host, Dr. Valerie Kilders. Dr. Kilders joined us this fall as a new professor in agricultural economics at Purdue, and I'm excited to have her bring new life, new ideas, and fresh insights to our podcasts. The other item that I want to bring to your attention is that with two student co-hosts and two faculty co-hosts, we're going to be able to bring you more podcasts throughout the coming academic year. Our plan is to release a podcast twice a month on the second and fourth Tuesday of each month between now and next May. So without further ado, let's join the first podcast for the 2022-23 academic year. Thanks for being a loyal listener. Hello, and welcome to the Purdue Ag Econ Podcast podcast for experts and innovators in agriculture. I'm Abby Meyer and on today's episode, Dr. Foster and I discuss food price inflation with Dr. Balagtas. Stay tuned. Hello, you're listening to the Purdue Agricultural Economics Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Foster, and with me is my student co-host, Abby Meyer. Abby, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Hey, how was your summer? It was fantastic. I spent the summer in D.C. I wish I was still there, but I'm glad to be back. Come on, you're back in beautiful Indiana, back at Purdue with all the excitement of a new semester. How could you want to be in Washington, (laughs) D.C.? I mean, my friends are in D.C. I guess all my friends are here, too, though. Yeah, different friends, <laughs> yeah. different things to do, and I'm sure it's it's a different kind of experience. So tell us a little bit about what you were doing in D.C. So I was interning for an Indiana congressman as an ag policy intern. So I got to do a lot of things to prepare for the upcoming farm bill, any of the ag committee hearings, and just typical He'll intern things like give tours of the Capitol and speak to constituents over the phone. Oh, wow. That's like getting in and watching the dirty laundry and everything, <laughs> right? I mean, the dishes get washed and all that stuff. And in the end, here comes policy. That's yeah. pretty cool. That's very cool. Well, congratulations. I know that's a competitive opportunity. So for the sake of our listeners, you know Abby's the real deal if she got that. So let me introduce our our guest today. Our guest is Dr. Joe Belagtis. Joe is a professor here in the Department of Agricultural Economics with a variety of specializations, but definitely in the areas of markets and policy. And Joe, how are you? I'm great, Ken. Doing well. I also miss Washington, D.C. <laughs> sometimes. Abby, I could, I could relate. Yeah. So, Abby, you had Dr. Blagtus's class last year, right? Tell us about that. I had Dr. Blagtus for Ag Econ 220. He's a great professor. Yeah, that's what, you know, when we were putting together the the, uh, the guest list for this fall, Dr. Blagtis' name came up, and Abby's eyes got big. She goes, I had him last year for 220. He's a great professor. So we're really lucky to have Joe here with us today. And speaking of Washington, you spent a little time in Washington recently. Tell us about that, Joe. I did. So from summer 2019 to the end of 2020, Purdue loaned me out to the federal government, I worked at the Council of Economic Advisors in the White House. 
for our novice listeners, what's the Council of Economic Advisors and what do they do? I mean, I guess they give economic advice, but what sort and to whom? That is exactly right. So just after World War II, I think it was the Truman administration, created the Council of Economic Advisors to provide objective, science-based economic advice to the White House. Right. So I think of the, the CEA as an internal economic consulting agency for the president and the White House administration. And I'm guessing this economic advice is pretty overarching, not just associated with food and agriculture where your expertise exists. Yeah, that's right. The economic advice spans all of the economy, right, and all of the areas of policy that the federal government touches or that the president might or should care about. It's a small group, so you know maybe 15 or so PhD economists covering all of that area. I was there to be the lead on issues of food and agriculture, but certainly did lots of work outside of that area as well. How did this experience impact teaching at Purdue when you came back? Oh, you know, it's interesting. I'm bringing it into the classroom for sure. It's affected my research program to some extent, but I think it what the CEA did was really help me appreciate how important simple economics is to the general public. Right? I think a lot of what we as academics do is talk to each other in sort of technical language, and those conversations are important. But a big part of what we do and an important part of what the CEA does is inform the rest of the world. So helping the White House understand that demand curves slope down is a lot like what we do in the classroom with our undergraduate students, right? So that White House experience sort of reinforced the importance of intro-econ classes like we teach in AGEC 220. Yeah. On, on the fly, the, the first principles are pretty powerful. It really is. And there are issues that were more depth and nuance matter, but explaining the first principles goes a long way. What opportunities do you see for students like me who are interested in ag econ policy because of the experience you've had? Yeah, so your internship is really the pinnacle, and there are opportunities. I think I have someone coming to my classroom in a couple of weeks to explain that program. You'd know more about it than I do. But working with Indiana legislators, working with Indiana Department of Agriculture, the United States Department of Agriculture, all of these government agencies and institutions create opportunities for students to cut their teeth on policy mm -hmm. and get exposed to that area. We've had a number of students go to D.C. on internships with commodity groups and ag organizations, too, like Farm Bureau and so forth. And, of course, those are probably more on an advocacy point of view on policy, but they still get to see that policy process firsthand. Absolutely. That's correct. I can back it up. Great experience. Awesome. More students need to do that. Well, Joe, you know, one of the big things in the economy today that we keep hearing about is inflation, and particularly people concerned about food price inflation with concerns about food insecurity, at least for a segment of our population. So we thought we would try and pitch a few questions at you with your great expertise from working in D.C. And, and being a professor here at Purdue about this phenomenon that we really haven't seen for a while. So maybe give us a little historical context for the inflation that we're seeing in the economy and particularly in food prices today. 
Yeah, so June or July of this year is the latest data we've got on uh, food prices from the federal government. Those data tell us that prices are about eight or nine. Food prices are close to double digits. Percentage is higher than a year ago. To put that in context, I think 1979, 1980, 1981, we had six or seven percent food price inflation. That's annual percentage increases over the previous year. And really, in my lifetime, unseen levels of price inflation. So it really is an issue. It's not made up and it's a concern that all of us are dealing with to some extent in our own personal lives. But we as food economists for sure have have been following the issue. Great time to be teaching economics and teaching about markets because I've been teaching agricultural prices now for about eight years. And when I mention inflation, the students look at me with a blank stare. And this year, for the first time, we actually can use recent data to look at inflation in the classroom. It's kind of cool in that sense. It's not cool outside of that, but in the classroom, it's a great teaching opportunity, I think. We've really been spoiled. You know, we've taken for granted that prices in the economy grow at about 2% per year and don't fluctuate much from that. So this event helps us realize that that's not a guarantee. Where do you think this is coming from and your experience in the work that you've been doing on ag markets? I always go back to what could possibly have changed to give us these unprecedented rates of inflation, right? Really rates of inflation we've never seen before. So you look back and think about what's happened in the last year or two or three that could cause such a dramatic change and well what do you know there's been an unprecedented pandemic that's affected not just public health but the economy in the united states and around the world so i go back to that as a big contributor to the price changes we've seen in recent years okay do you think just consumers change their elasticity. So you use first principles or do you think it's more fundamental than that? I think there's several things going on and they're all fluctuating over time. So early on in the pandemic, I'm talking about the spring 2020 through that first year, there's a lot of uncertainty about COVID itself, how it spread and how to protect yourself. People made decisions not to go to work in restaurants or not to eat out in restaurants. So behavior changed dramatically. People weren't eating meals at school or in the workplace. Overnight, about half of our food expenditure, which we were consuming in food service, went away. And we had big increases in demand for food in grocery stores. So early in summer 2020, we had a big spike in prices of food and other things that we consumed grocery stores, toilet paper, for example, hand sanitizer. We're now back in a world where people are eating in restaurants again, people, to some extent, less than before, are back in the workplace. So they're eating meals in the workplace cafeteria or at restaurants nearby. So there's a return to that, but there's still increased demand for food in grocery stores relative to before the pandemic. So that's one big thing. There's a behavioral change that's caused a shift in where we purchase our food and an increase in demand for food in grocery stores. What do you think students can do to protect themselves from the impacts of food price inflation? That's an important issue. So there's a couple things. One is that not everybody knows that food insecurity could be a big problem on campus. Before the pandemic, there was data that suggested maybe 30% of college students 
faced some food security, meaning they had to worry about where their next meal might come from. We think of, of college students as a socially elite class, and to some extent we are, but there are a lot of things about college that make students susceptible to food insecurity. One is that you're spending 15 hours a week in class, plus time outside of that class dedicated to learn the stuff that you're learning in classroom. So you just don't have time to work a full-time job. Some students do it, but it's a burden. So you have students without a lot of income, and they're spending a lot of time in class dedicated to academic pursuits. So it could be difficult for students to find a meal. Something like 30 to 40% of students may be food insecure. For those students, I'd say, one, you're not alone. You know, you could find help resources on campus. At Purdue, there's actually a food bank, Ace Campus Food Pantry, run by the Student Baptist Foundation over on Russell Street. Twice a week, all you need is your student ID, and they provide some food resources for students. So that's important to know. The other thing, I'm lucky to be in a position where I'm not food insecure. I have two students, two of my kids are students at Purdue, and they're not food insecure, thankfully. Um, but they're on budgets, right? <laughs> and so I talk to them all the time about how to make that money stretch as far as it could. One thing students, and not just students, but consumers in general are doing more and more of is food delivery. Food delivery is great, it's convenient, but man, I find it a bit expensive. One thing about students is they tend to have free time. And so making the trip to the grocery yourself or to Taco Bell could save you a few bucks that you'd otherwise have to pay Grubhub for. So that's one thing I would do if I were a student, you know, learn how to do things yourself, including go get your own food, but maybe also prepare your own food rather than pay people to do those things for you. All right. So, Joe, not to put you too much on the spot, but where do you think this inflation in food prices is going? Are we near the end or too soon to tell? And when will we know we're near the end? I think general price inflation is starting to turn back. And we've seen that areas of the economy other than food prices, energy prices, gasoline prices, for example, over the last couple of months, they peaked in the spring and have started to come down. Food prices have actually remained high. I think um, that the inflation part of those high food prices that are created by increased money supply, low interest rates, things like that, are starting to turn around as the Federal Reserve sort of tightens up the monetary policy. But some things aren't going to change. So, for example, poultry and egg prices have been high now for a year and are going to remain high as long as we're dealing with avian flu. Right. And so I'm not sure I'd call that food price inflation from the consumer's perspective. Right. Those that's just higher poultry prices. And the cause of those higher poultry prices or egg prices really doesn't matter. But yeah, I'm not sure I'd call that inflation. I think that could persist as long as the underlying causes persist. All right. Joe, any final comments? No, I just appreciate the opportunity to come and to chat with you, Ken and Abby. It's fun to talk, and, and I'll see you around the hallways. All right. You've been listening to the Purdue Agricultural Economics Podcast. Thank you to Dr. Blagtis for taking time out of his busy schedule to talk to us about the Council for Economic Advisors and Food Price Inflation. You can visit the department at www.agecon.purdue.edu. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter. Take care and have a great fall.